things we can promise. Let's list things that you can we can promise from this episode of the year. Lots of physical comedy. Lots of physical comedy. Good. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rebecca Osei and I'm managing editor of The Eye and I'm so excited to present to you our first episode of the year. Now before you roll your eyes at our super clever name, here's how. The year has been in the works for over a year, with the idea and name originating from former deputy editor and all-around brilliant woman, Kara Schechtman. The I, the magazine itself, was named after the author and urban theorist Jane Jacobs and her belief that the eyes on the street help keep cities safe. The ear then alludes to the stories we're always listening for. At The Eye, we think about the ways in which we tell our stories just as much as the stories themselves. And with podcasts being more popular now than ever, it made sense to extend our narrative journalism into non-print media. We want to tell you our stories using the literal voices of the people who make them up and some nifty podcast editing. Without further ado, I'll hand you off to this episode's hosts. Hey, I'm Justin Chung. And I'm Jordan Allen, and this episode we'll be talking about the battle between our presidents. Namely, Columbia University President Lee Bollinger and President Donald Trump. And uh, just so the viewers know at home, this is so exciting and so confusing uh, just in terms of our situation that we're in here. You know, Justin used to be my trainee. He was what you might call an assistant. And now, suddenly my co-host. Uh, very fascinating. It's all about upward mobility. Yeah, I mean, I would still say uh, I'll just go with that I am an authority in both scenarios. What, a whole uh, semester's worth of experience over me? I mean... It's like two, three months? I mean, do you have anything published? Or... Wow, it's a little blow. Well, you still got to say your name first, so... I guess you have power over the situation. Because you're a man. Do you, do you really want to get into gender politics? No. Now to our story. Joy Resmovitz and Jacob Schneider, 2010 graduates of Barnard College and Columbia College, respectively, spent months writing their own lead in April 2010. They set out to profile University President Lee Bollinger and assess the impact his presidency, which was well into its eighth year, had on the university. Bollinger, upon coming to Columbia, shook up the university's administration, and early on in his tenure, he set his sights on the newly opened Manhattanville campus. At the time, though, the first step was procuring land, which is where our story begins, with this 2010 lead story called Finding Bollinger. Finding Bollinger has a Frank Sinatra has a cold quality to it. Much like the gay Talis profile of the famed singer, we get a humanizing and behind-the-scenes look at a man we've only ever interacted with through 5K fun runs and fireside chats. In fact, when Bollinger was a University of Michigan law school professor after failing to finish a marathon, his students left a can of Chef Boyardee spaghetti on his podium. He should have carbo-loaded more during the race. Oof. The piece then goes on to talk about Bollinger's reputation, which is inextricably linked to the Manhattanville campus. For a moment, Bollinger considered expanding it in Midtown, in the West 50s, land that then-celebrity apprentice host and real estate tycoon Donald Trump owned. However, 
Alan Brinkley, the History Department Chair at Columbia in 2002, makes sure to specify that, quote, the decision to look uptown for land rather than make a deal with Donald Trump had more to do with money than sentiment, unquote. Just the fact that Brinkley is specifying that the decision, quote, is not due to sentiment, unquote, is fascinating. What does sentiment mean? Is he referring to Trump's notoriety as a businessman, whose catchphrase is, You're fired! According to Resmovitz, who is now a reporter for the Los Angeles Times, the word sentiment didn't refer to any negative associations with Trump. I think until that point, he had been, you know, a celebrity who was known for his wealth and flaunting it everywhere he could, and for owning a lot of property in New York and for calling himself a billionaire when that might have been questionable, and for just being a, a bit of a spectacle who ran The Apprentice. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it was... You know, his name was much of a stigma at Columbia. Deeming the Midtown properties too expensive and too far, Bollinger chose 125th Street. This is where our story gets really interesting. Okay, well now I'm now I'm excited. Now I'm now I'm listening. Now you're excited. Yeah, before I was just like this entire time. Away. Yep, not listening. But whoa, it's gonna get interesting. Let's do it. So I'll just take it away. On May 5th, 2010, about a month after the article was published. Donald Trump, uh, the current president of the United States, in case you weren't, you didn't know that, sent a letter destined for both lead story writers. Resmovitz was working on the paper's commencement issue in the office with other speckies when she found it. I looked in the mailbox and I saw something on very heavy paper with gold, um, with gold embossed writing addressed to me and my colleague Jacob Schneider from Donald Trump. And I thought it must be a joke, because why would Donald Trump be writing to a bunch of college reporters? The letter read, quote, Dear Joy and Jacob, in light of your recent article about Bollinger, I thought you would enjoy seeing something which I recently posted on my blog and also sent to the Board of Columbia. Al Lerner had it right, dash, dash, dash. Columbia would have had the best location of any college in America dash, 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 100 times better than the mess they are involved with now, exclamation point. I distinctly remember seeing that the letter was written entirely in both font. But the letter gets way better. How could it get better? It's been so fascinating. Oh my god. I mean, this is Trump. (laughs) Oh my god. Ah, okay. How does it get better? Below this paragraph of typed up text, printed on cream paper that's headed with a capitalized Trump, written in embossed gold letters, Trump hand wrote in black sharpie, in all caps, quote, Bolger is terrible! Unquote. Before adding, quote, With best wishes, Donald J. Trump. Unquote. Incredible. So throughout the entire presidential campaign, Trump said awful things that targeted minorities, women, and religious groups. He promoted racist dialogue, and in the eye's first letter from the editor of the semester, a little plug there, we even called him a proto-fascist. Groundbreaking news, I know. For the most part, Columbia stayed mum, up until Trump was elected. Two days after the November election, Bollinger condemned the results. Trump had become too big of a literal elephant in the room to not address. Columbia, for the most part, has to stay apolitical, if only because it is a community that draws so many people from diverse backgrounds with different opinions. But then Bollinger said, quote, the attack on groups that we celebrate at Columbia and embrace as part of our greatness. These are not political issues, unquote. Trump's presidency was, quote, a challenge to what we stand for, 
unquote. Maybe we were a bit naive, but as we were reading articles about Bollinger and former Barnard president Deborah Spark coming out in protest of the immigration ban or signing a letter calling on Trump to denounce and prevent acts of violence and hatred, we really never thought of the fact that these two powerful people had ever interacted with the now most powerful man in the world. And that's not to say that this previous, slightly more personal interaction with Trump affected Bollinger's response to his election and to his policy. If anything, Bollinger's reactions are to be expected as a leading First Amendment scholar. But this does help support this idea that even before he became more active on Twitter, Trump was behaving largely the same as he does online. In the letter, Trump refers to Bollinger as a, quote, dummy. And a quick scan of Trump's 34,600 tweets reveal that he's used the term 77 times. For a quick second, this concept seems foreign to me, almost. It is easy to fall into the trap of thinking that it is Twitter that fuels or enables Trump's imprecise and unrestrained ramblings. Which, of course, isn't true at all. You only have to listen to one Trump interview, anyone, to know that Trump's fact-free tirades would exist with Twitter or without. What Trump does on Twitter now, he seems to have always done, but in letters. We tell kids to think before they speak, and Trump's Twitter has the impulsive quality of a man who has forgotten that lesson. I almost assumed that given the extra time it takes to produce and send a letter over a tweet, that whatever impulse that drove him might be checked by time. Again, not true at all. An example. 25 years ago, the editor of Vanity Fair, Graydon Carter, called Trump a short finger vulgarian in Spy magazine. Carter has ever since received occasional envelopes from Trump of torn magazine photos, where his hands are circled in Sharpie. Next to it, he writes, quote, See? Not so short. Unquote. Late night host John Oliver discussed this style of communication between Carter and Trump in an episode of Last Week Tonight with John Oliver last year. His fingers seem fine, but the very fact he's so sensitive about them is absolutely hilarious, as is the fact that those notes were apparently written in gold Sharpie, which is so quintessentially Donald Trump. The eye wasn't treated to a special of a note. Ours was written in black sharpie. But it nevertheless makes it difficult to believe that Donald Trump took the time to read an article from a college magazine and respond to it. Rezmovitz herself didn't believe it and ended up calling Trump's secretary's office to confirm. Rezmovitz was then put in touch with Trump himself, who explained a real estate term to her and restated that Bollinger was a moron. So the letter had, in fact, been verified. And the handwritten note at the bottom was sincere. John McWhorter, a professor of linguistics at Columbia, sat down with CNN's Don Lemon last week to discuss Trump's string of wiretapping claiming tweets. And the way he analyzes Trump's posts definitely echo the way in which we look at this letter. And so you end up playing these kinds of verbal games where the idea is to be able to have the last word. And Don, the tragic thing is that that is the nature of political discourse from this White House. It's just a linguistic sandbox. Sadly, it's not more than that. But in order to get the full picture, Rezmovitz need to get to the other side of the story, namely Bollinger's response. And I think that was my favorite part of this whole thing. You know, I felt kind of bad, but I had to ask him, how would you respond to Donald Trump's allegation that you are a moron? And so that Bollinger said, to his credit, no comment. Maybe it's best that Bollinger was being a good sport about the whole ordeal that originated from about 50 words out of a 7,000-worded piece. 
And so we come to the end of the first episode of the year. It's been fun, taking a little bit of eye history and learning about it, talking about it. We want to do this for every week. Well, okay, every two weeks. We'll keep digging through Columbia's history, through Campus Today. To find you stories worth listening to. We're your eyes and ears on the street. See you next time. We would like to thank Chris Lopez for composing the music, Rebecca Asse for writing the script, Jake Arlo for editing, Joy Resmovitz for speaking with us, and the entire ear team, and the eye in general.